So, Sadie and I once again didn't have enough time to record an episode this week, so we had to dig up an old recording to edit for you guys. We apologize for um, if the sound quality is bad because we didn't have our new microphones when we recorded this, but it's still a really good episode, so enjoy! Okay, so let's, I guess we'll get into our story because we don't really have any banter. So this week I did the, I'm going to say this wrong, <laughs> Langham, Langham Hotel. I don't know. Literally Lang and Ham is. Probably Langham. It's British. I can't do that. It's in London. Langham Hotel. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> All right, so I got my information from langhamhotels.com, wikipedia, hauntedrooms.com.uk, huffpost.com, londonist.com, and storyhotels.com. Storied. I don't know if I <clears throat> enunciated that enough. Okay. Should I read this all in a British accent? No. The Langham was Europe's first grand hotel. Audrey, <laughs> do you remember that time you and Leah did that in that mall in Aberdeen? <laughs> All day. Literally all day long. Okay, so the Langham, the Langham, I feel like Langham sounds fancier. I feel like either way, it's not a very fancy sounding name for a hotel. It was Europe's first grand hotel. It opened on June 10th, 1865, which I honestly thought it was older because things are older in Europe. Yeah, it doesn't seem that old. It's very young. Um, so the Prince of Wales and much of Victorian high society were in attendance for the grand opening. Yes, I am mocking you. It was designed by John Giles and cost £300,000, equivalent to £28 million today. It has an exact number, but saying numbers like that hurts my brain. Mm. Um, so the hotel featured electric lights, hydraulic lifts, air conditioning, and 36 bathrooms. So I don't think there was a bathroom in every room because they had more hotel rooms than that, as far as I read. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure where these bathrooms were in the hotel. <laughs> One in every hallway? I don't know. Um... So, it was the favorite venue for royalty, artists, and musicians from around the world in 19, or 1867. An American, James Sanderson, was appointed general manager. And the hotel developed mm. an extensive American clientele, which included Mark Twain and Hetty Green. Don't know who that last one is, and I probably said the name wrong. In... 1871, Louis Napoleon III spent much of his enforced exile from France at the Langham. Langham, someone's going to get mad at me. And <laughs> You're trying. You keep on giving both options that you think it is. I spelled it out for you, so if you can't read it in your head, blame it on yourself. Anyway, um, in 1879, Charles Dickens noted in his London Guide that the Langham, Langham... Charged fourteen. Is this? I, I don't. I can't read this. Fourteen slash six D. 
And then it says in parentheses 72 and a half P, which I'm assuming is pounds. Yeah, that's pounds. So what is the other one? Dollars? Because he's American. I think it would be dollars. They're, they're giving you both options. Um, <clears throat> for, so they charge you that much for a bedroom, breakfast with coffee, and cold meat. <laughs> I heard cold meat, but I think you said mead. Meat. No meat? <laughs> Some cold meat. Which is funny, because, like, I know that that's what European, like, breakfasts are, is, like, yeah, no, that's kind that's... of, like, deli meats, but yeah, it just, no, it's just funny how it's phrased. Breakfast, coffee with cold meat. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of ground beef. <laughs> <laughs> Left on the counter all night as flies in it. <laughs> um, dinner was soup and joint of meat. Okay. Which that scares me. Um, but the Langham was the most expensive hotel meal to be had in London at the time. Mm-hmm. So, in 1890... <laughs> It auto-corrected the hotel name to Longhand. <laughs> Longhand. When I typed it, it goes, in 1890, the Longhand celebrated. <laughs> Longhand it, Hotel sounds better than Langham. It does. It does. Langham Langham celebrated its Silver Jubilee and was, Im- okay, Im- I almost said immort- immortalitized. Immortalized <laughs> in writing by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which just now in my life I have seen his name written down, and I did not think it was Conan Doyle. You thought it was one last name? Yes. Because why wouldn't you? It's okay. Anyway, um, I honestly don't know who he is. Um, a frequent it's hotel guest who does Sherlock Holmes. Uh, well, it literally says that. A frequent hotel guest <laughs> using it as a setting for several Sherlock Holmes stories. <laughs> I literally read it and knew that. And then I was still like, irrelevant. <laughs> no clue who he is. Don't care. My brain said, you don't need that information. Throw it out the window. He's that guy in that Jackie Chan movie where he's in England. <laughs> anyway, so in 1940... The Langham, I feel like someone's really going to be pissed off at me for saying it this way. Really but it sounds every time they hear it. It sounds better. The Langham. Should I say it just with a British accent and then say everything else normal? No. I think I should. Played a significant role during the war. It served as a local first aid and military post during World War II. During the air attacks, the Luftwaffe. Is that right? Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe? Sounded yeah, you said it right the first I time. I said it right mm-hmm. both times. Second time was a little weird. Luftwaffe. <laughs> no. That's how they sound to me. Um, Did you ever watch like the, the German videos in high school where it's just like everybody talking and you're just like, I don't understand anything that's happening right now. I'm reading They're the like subtitles. really bad skits. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, that's what I feel like right now. <laughs> Um, they dropped a high-explosive bomb, which hit one of the towers of the Langham, Langham, wrecking most of the West Wing. Um, it never says when it was rebuilt, or if it was, but I'm assuming that it was fixed up eventually. In the 1950s and 60s, the BBC bought the Langham and leased Hmm. sections of the hotel out as offices, 
um, Grand Hotel, the iconic radio program, was broadcast from there. Um, it's not iconic to me. <laughs> After World War II, several rooms on the third floor were kept as accommodation for BBC journalists who, for whatever reason, had to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. One BBC employee who stayed there was Guy Burgess, one of the Cambridge Five, a spying ring that supplied official secrets of the, to the Soviets during the Cold War. So, okay. Um, in the 1990s, Princess Di was a frequent guest of the hotel um, until our family murdered her in 2009. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is, am I supposed to not say that? Just laughing. Here's the thing. They may not use the H. Langham? Well, that's not any better. <laughs> that's the and only I think, only been, I, I, think have. I have said it that way. Yeah. At least five times in the yeah. beginning. <laughs> anyway. In 2009, the Langham Grand Hotel reopened after five years. Um, I don't think it was actually shut down, but that's how long the renovations took. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cost 80 million pounds. And it included a new lobby, an updated Wedgwood suite, um, and restored Palm like Court. Suite? I have no idea. And restored Palm Court, which was the birthplace of traditional afternoon tea, apparently. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I believe that because I thought afternoon tea would be older than the 18... 18- 60s no but maybe i'm wrong that's like really like when tea gets popular i think i well i mean they were all about their tea when we dumped it in the harbor oh that's true so i just assume yeah but i think that's when like fancy tea (laughs) gets popular because before that i think it's just like you know you drink coffee in the morning to be caffeinated i mean i have no idea no clue i have not researched just to me it just seemed like it would be but, like, think about, like, all a the cocktails. There's a whole bunch of things that are made popular by fancy hotels that, like, yeah, the rich true. and famous go to, and then they bring it home. So, they celebrated their 150th birthday on June 10th. I don't know what year. Um, it didn't say on the website. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not doing the math. Um, so, in 2016, they renovated all, all of their rooms and suites, so, in 2009, they didn't even update their hotel rooms, I don't think. They just did those three things that I said, and it cost 80 million pounds. That's Wait, wild. they updated the that suite and then made some, like, big rooms pretty? And the lobby. That's a big room. The lobby, the suite, <laughs> and the palm court. 80 million pounds. Anyway. That seems wrong. It does. <laughs> well, because when I saw that, and said in 2016 they renovated all their rooms and suites, and I was like, didn't they just do that? No. Mm. In 2017, they opened their new luxury tavern, um, and they opened a spa. It's a lot of words that I don't know how to pronounce, so I'm just going to say a spa because that's what it is. <laughs> today in Langham, um, today the Langham is a five-star hotel with 380 rooms. Um, I believe they have a bathroom in each room now, but they never told me, so... I hope they do. Let's poke fun at that. I hope it's not, like, communal. (laughs) Gotta walk down to the end of the hall. Let's poke fun at that. Everybody, hall bathroom. (laughs) Share it. Everyone. Gotta wear your little shoes so you don't get foot fungus. (laughs) Get your shower shoes on. (laughs) Paying $500 a night Um, to stay there, but not bring your shower shoes. (laughs) Well, they never said because when they, they started, bathrooms. they only had 36 bathrooms, and now they have 380 rooms. 
That's not enough. (laughs) (laughs) So a restored palm court. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's a five-star hotel with 380 rooms, a restored palm court, which has served afternoon tea since 1865, a new business center, and 15 function rooms, including the grand ballroom, which can accommodate 375 guests only. And they also opened a cookery school in 2019. Just for funsies. I don't know where it's located within the hotel, but they did. All right, on to the hauntings. So, there's a lot of articles, but most of all of the articles say the exact same things. So, hopefully I'm getting all of this right um, and not leading anybody astray. So, they say that paranormal activity in the hotel became apparent when it was owned by the BBC. Okay. Um, It was then that it was discovered that there were at least five ghosts who make regular appearances at the hotel. But some skeptics have suggested that ghostly encounters were conducted by BBC journalists to get out of deadlines. (laughs) And... That's a good point. That's so funny. They do, um, they have bathrooms, because this is the most basic room you can get, and it definitely has a bathroom attached. Why? I look, all of their rooms have the floor plan layout, so you can see what you're getting beforehand. You don't have to share bathrooms. Well, I was assuming you didn't. I just think it's funny that in that, they, don't they never that. say... Especially yeah, since they specifically mentioned it before. How many there were mm-hmm. when it was first built, yeah. So, the Langham Hotel... Um, The BBC deadlines. Okay. So, one of these ghosts. Okay. Well, I think I'm just kind of going to list them in order of mm-hmm. how I found it on the articles. So, there is one. He is a man with a gaping wound on his face. He tends to sleep yeah. to the hallways. So, catch him in the hallways <laughs> when you're on the way to the bathroom through shower shooting. <laughs> Um, so, Emperor Napoleon III, who lived at the Langham during his last days in exile, he now prefers the basement. Catch him in the basement. Um, a ghost who has a thing for tipping guests out of bed while they're sleeping. Um. This is a floor plan for one of the suites. It's a whole house. joking me. <laughs> That's wild. How much is it a night for that? I don't know. I'm sorry. I just, I love that they have the floor plans on here. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's Go check out their flan- floor, floor here, plans. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> um, there is a butler who's seen wandering the corridors in his holy socks. Not holy as in Jesus. Holy as in there are holes oh, like in them like, like his toes them. are sticking yeah. out. <laughs> Which I just think that's funny because he's like, I'm pretty sure he's in like a full butler's uniform and then he's just shoeless with holes in his socks. So I just think that's kind of funny. And it's a ghost. Mm-hmm. He's not mentally doing okay, I would assume. Or that's where he's his most comfortable. Maybe with he holy just socks. Like shoes. Um, there is a footman in pale blue livery. Yeah. What is that? Like I think it's uniform. Okay. A footman in pale blue uniform and a powdered wig. Oh, no. If it's a, he's in a powdered wig, no, then that's a just like an outfit type. No, it is uniform. I was right. Well, it's a footman's uniform. You're right. Yeah. Footman's. Because I... Why did I say it like that? A footman. 
Anyway, so you can see him. Um, he is often accompanied by a sudden drop in temperature. So you'll feel him and see him. Um, the most active of the ghosts at the hotel. <laughs> Holding socks. That's all I want to see. Um, oh, no, that's not the footman. Mm-mm. Anyway, so Butler. the most active of the ghosts at the hotel is said to be that of a German prince or nobleman who was thought to have died there after he threw himself out of the window of an upper story room, as everyone apparently does when they stay at a hotel. Guests have seen his ghost moving through halls and closed doors, and he often causes a sudden temperature drop when he's around two. Um, like how it's like, if it, the temperature drops, oh no, is it going to be the footman or the guy who definitely jumped off the roof? Like, <laughs> Good question. Um, so he is described as beefy, with beefy. cropped hair, sporting a military-style jacket that is buttoned up to the neck. Um, you can see him most often in the early morning hours walking through doors. He's checking on everyone to make I sure guess. they're waking up at the crack of dawn. As he had to. Why do they know he's Sherman? Is it because of his uniform? I would assume. I'm not sure. Now, the most haunted room of the hotel is supposed to be room 333, which already is Half not a great, great number. <laughs> um, so, in 1973, this is a quote from an article, in this room, a BBC newscaster... Woke up to see a fluorescent ball of light, which slowly took a human shape. Boy. The apparition hovered two feet above the floor, um, the lower portion of its legs missing. Okay. It was dressed in extravagant Victorian evening wear. The announcer tried to communicate with the ghost, asking what it wanted, and the spirit slowly moved towards the newscaster, arms outstretched, Ew. eyes empty. Uh-uh. It says, I want you. Anyway, so the announcer fled in distress. Yeah. And he ran to his co-workers. No. (laughs) (laughs) And everything in the room was gone. The mattress was on the roof of the hotel like in Parent Trap. (laughs) Um, No. So he fled in distress, found his co-worker, and told them about what happened. And so someone accompanied him back to his room and was like, okay, let's chill out. You probably had a nightmare. Mm -hmm. The ghost was still there when they returned. Hold on, so they both see it now. Yes. So but it's, like, it's like the the fister now. <laughs> it is. Um, but it was less visible and less threatening than when he had seen it. So it was like losing its power, maybe. I'm not sure. Losing its energy. And then it slowly faded away. <laughs> so other BBC staff reported seeing the apparition in the same room only in October, though. What? Maybe that's when they stayed there. So, this is thought to be the ghost of a doctor who apparently murdered his wife and then killed himself while on their honeymoon. Hmm. Um, He will manifest as a silver-haired Victorian gentleman with a cloak and with a cloak and um, has blank staring eyes. So, he's not like really acknowledging people. He's just kind of there being creepy. But he, like, he's only seen in that room, I'm pretty sure. But, like, the other ghosts are also seen in that room. Like, the German one mm-hmm. and the one that likes to tip people out of bed. Um, yeah. That one once shook the bed in room 333 with such enthusiasm that the occupant fled the hotel in the middle of the night. 
Um, I love that it's called enthusiasm. <laughs> Get out of it. Um, okay. So, recently during the England cricket team stay at the Langham, reports surfaced that some members of the team were having trouble sleeping in the room, with some of their wives refusing to even stay in the hotel, just like some of the American ones that I've covered, where mm-hmm. all of our NBA and MLB stars don't want to go back. Um, Stuart Broad, Broad? Um, recounts one experience during his stay that forced him to move rooms. Um, he said it was so hot in the room that I, I just couldn't sleep. All of a sudden, the taps in the bathroom came on for no reason. I turned the lights on and the taps turned themselves off. Um, <laughs> then when I turned the lights off again, the taps came on. Um, it was really weird. Um, it really freaked me out. I ended up asking to move rooms. Um... He says that his um, girlfriend was really spooked, too, and that he knew one of his um, teammates' wife wouldn't even stay um, because she was so scared of ghosts at the hotel, mm-hmm. so she won't even stay there. Um, and then another one of the players just says that he doesn't like to stay there, and he says every time he goes there that it freaks him out and he just said quote something's something weird is going on here mm-hmm. um so a writer for huff post booked a night in room 333 and the man who checked her in said quote my hands are starting to tremble he and then he apologized and then he said do you mind if i collect myself for a moment so like he's literally so terrified just checking her into room 333 mm-hmm. cuz like he knows all the stories and everything um she asked if a lot of people stayed in room 333, and he said, actually, most people try to avoid it, because I guess British people aren't as fun as Americans, or, and don't want to stay not in haunted rooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, he said, sometimes we have to put people in there, but they're the ones that don't know about the stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he said, me, I wouldn't even step foot on the third floor. I believe in those things. I don't want to take any chances of bumping into anything, especially now. This is the time when ghosts are most active. So I'm assuming it was like a specific time of night or year that she had checked in. Um, But she personally didn't report any experiences that she had that night. But clearly it rattles a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. um, that's the story of the Langham Langham Hotel in London. So if you're ever there, book room 333. Anyway. That's all I've got. I like that one a lot. I know, they that's have a fun good ghosts. One. Okay, so I'm covering the story of Alma Keller, is what I think it is, but one of the sources I used said Kellner the entire time, and I really think it's a typo. Either that or her um, gravestone has a typo. Yeah. <laughs> so either Kellner or Keller, but I think it's Keller. My sources are ArcadiaPublishing.com and Heinous Forgotten Murders from the 1910s by Melina Druga. So a book that I found on the internet. (laughs) Um, So Alma Keller was born to a wealthy brewing family in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, She had a fun and privileged childhood and enjoyed many activities like roller skating, which is noted because she had a roller skating accident where she got a scar on her nose as a result, which is important later. Um, So December 8th, 1909, Alma went to her family's Catholic church that was five blocks from home. 
um, it was St. John's Catholic Church, and she attended Mass, apparently by herself. For funsies, I guess. Something to do as a little There's kid. There's nothing fun about Mass. So, the last people who saw her were parishioners who lingered in the church after Mass, you know, talk, pray, I don't know what you do at a Catholic Church Mass. Um, so one of the parishioners, Rose Stoibel, saw Alma playing with the candles at the communion rail, really safe, play with the fire child. Wait, is this a child? Mm-hmm. A little girl. Why are they letting her do that? Ain't that a great question. <laughs> well, what time, what year is this? 1909. Oh, that's why. Um, and another parishioner, Anna Grala, Grala, it's a very German area, um, saw her playing as well. And she also saw a man at one point open a door um, in the sacristy. Open the sacristy door is what it says. And it doesn't appear as a typo. Like, there's no red line. Um, look at Alma and then shut the door again. So a woman saw a man look briefly at Alma through a door. Scary. So, Grala asked another woman who was sitting in there still if anything, like, was, essentially, was the little unattended girl safe? And the woman replied, um, what could happen to a child in a church? Lots of Many things. things. <laughs> Pedos. Um, what was that priestaccountability.org or something? I know. Oh. That website. <laughs> what a great website name. Anyway. <laughs> so three weeks later, Fred Keller, Alma's father, received a letter. Oh, yeah. She's never seen again. I think I might have said that because she was last seen by. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So three weeks later, Alma's father receives a letter that was allegedly from the kidnappers asking for a $5,000 ransom. Um, and the letter was from some town in Ohio. Like, the police did a little bit of investigation and figured that out. Like, because the police know. Like, they know she's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the family put an ad out in the Cincinnati Post that read, Important notice. Please let the party who has our girl know that we will comply with their request. All they need to do is ask, because I don't think they're very specific. Other than, like, we want the money. Yeah. So a second letter arrives, and now the family is skeptical that, like, whether or not they're really the kidnappers. Um, and just, they're thinking it's somebody taking advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. So the family puts out a second ad, sent special notice to the party who has our little girl. Um, as evidence of good faith, send us samples of the dress she wore and a few lines in her handwriting giving the name of her school teacher over her signature. I don't know what that means, but that's what it said. They want her to write her school teacher's name over her signature. I guess. So nothing came of the letters or the ads, and by May of 1910, they finally got a, another lead on the girl, because otherwise it was like basically a quiet case. Um, there was a girl who looked like Al- Alma, who had been seen with a Romney family, and bourbon no barberville kentucky so you know like from michelle mm-hmm. the child was not alma but the press did release that she had been found <laughs> she hadn't been they were just overzealous so now we're gonna go back in time again to the same day that she went missing so that day that she had gone missing father 
Schumann reported a foul smell coming from the furnace. Um, from where? The furnace. No, where was this at? We're back at the church now. Okay. We're back in time, back at the church. This okay. is the day she goes missing at the church. Okay. The father of the church says he smelled something weird um, coming from the furnace. And the janitor, Joseph Wendling, said he was burning some rags. That was that was why it smelled weird. Okay, Pedo. We know it's you. We know it's you. It's so, always the janitor. <laughs> or the priest. A man named James Payton, who was a meter reader for the gas company, meter reader, <laughs> arrived at the church to read the meter. Um, sometime after Alma disappeared, like briefly after, because this is like a, this is how they paid their gas bill. Yeah. As the guy had to come and read it, you know, once a month or whatever. So he'd been doing this six years for the church. So like he knew the church. He, they knew him. Like he was the normal person to come once a month to take the bills. Um... So he arrives, and this time, Wendell would not allow Peyton into the music room where the meter was located. Dun, dun, so this is that's a little bit of suspicion. Um, and it's only after Peyton threatened to complain to Father Schumann that he was allowed in to do his job. Mm-hmm. So, January 14th, 1910, Wendling disappears after withdrawing $100 from his bank account. It. Big baller. <laughs> he never quit his job. Um, he didn't even tell his wife he was leaving. <laughs> smooth. <laughs> Real smooth. Father, at the time, Father Schumann speculated um, that it was because his wife was much older than him that he left. He was just like, yeah, no, this this is just not working out, and divorce is just too much effort. <laughs> mm. um, and he had also been talking about going back home to France, like where he's from. Okay. But his wife wrote his parents, and they said they had not seen nor heard him. Nor so heard he him. <laughs> heard like he's heard hiding from in his him, attic. Heard of him. None of it. Heard from anyway, him. Anyway, yeah. You know, I, I wrote that and just failed to read the rest of the <laughs> sentence. They never heard him. Anyway, never so heard they don't, of him at So all. the wife says the parents don't no, have heard child of him. Is. They don't have no clue where he is. They have not contacted him in a while. Anyway... They don't know so who So, he dis- his disappearance puts him on the police. Now he's suspicious. Like, yeah. the police are like, well, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Could have told you that from the beginning. When did she go? December 8th. Okay. So, he gets missing a month later. Now I've lost my spot. December 8th. Yeah, but that was at the beginning. Because he, oh. Oh, he disappears January 14th. Yeah. So... Now we'll learn a, bit, a little bit about Joseph Wendling. He was a, at the time, he was a 27-year-old French army deserter. He was 5'10", Q. 160 pounds, had a mustache, dark hair, and dark eyes. <laughs> now you too can look for so him. He is, <laughs> yeah. he is lame looking, that's uh, what I'm hearing. He had been arrested and fined in the past for improper conduct with a young girl who he'd approached in the street. And his wife, Lena, was 42... And was Father Schumann's housekeeper. So she was the housekeeper. He was the janitor. So May 30th, 1910, the new church janitor, because, you know, the other one left, (laughs) found water collecting in the cellar under the music room. Um, He called a plumber in. Uh, The plumber's name was Dick Sweats. No. 
I, I even made mother read that name out loud to me to make sure it was right. <laughs> I was like, Mom, how do you say this? She goes, oh, no. <laughs> um, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> read this name for me. <laughs> is he the unsung hero of this case? Well, he pumps out the cistern, which is causing the water leakage. Um... So the water he pumps out quickly starts to emit a smell. No. Um, so he conti- he had to continue pumping it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually a slime-covered object comes out. I'm tired of this. Someone turn this off. It was a foot. <laughs> it was a foot in a shoe and stocking. It's not funny. No, it's not. It's so gross. <laughs> it's sad. It's a little girl. <laughs> Um, and the rest of the body was found in the cistern, uh, naked and mutilated. Mm. So she never left the church that day. I mean, we all knew he no, wasn't burning knew. rags in the church. Oh, chimney. no, exactly. It's suspicious. What the heck? How old was she? Eight. Eight. Did I say that? I don't know. That might have just been the day. She went missing December 8th. I don't have her age. She's little. Like, she's young. Like, too young to go to church on her own, in my opinion. Um, Not back in those days. So, the police search the church after the body is found. Um, They find a child's undervest and hose supporters in the closet under the stairs, along with five women's handkerchiefs. Oh. Um, Well, but there's a woman who lives there. And there's also a school that runs part-time out of the building. Yeah, but why is it under the stairs? I don't know. It's in a closet, at least, and not just hidden weird. <laughs> that is hidden, same. So, the undervest was torn and had blood stains on it, um, as did some of the handkerchiefs, which now they're suspicious to me. <laughs> they already were to me. Under the altar, a glove and handkerchief were found, and they were later determined to belong to Alma. So this whole time, I'm like, it's been over a year now? No, it hasn't been a year yet. It's been half a year. Since she's gone missing that whole time that there's yeah, been did a... no one check the freaking last place she was seen? Listen, the janitor and the housekeeper are not doing a very good job cleaning, is what I'm understanding. <laughs> um, her uncle had to identify the remains, and he had also been, like, the main person looking for her the whole time, like, the yeah. activist for the family to find her. Um, her mother was not initially told that her daughter had been mutilated, and didn't understand because of that why her body Couldn't could be not seen. be brought home for like a funeral basically um they're like what she she was like why can't she come home why do you need somebody to even come there and identify her because they had given like her you know special markings including that scar on her nose she's like can't you identify her by that scar on her nose like she didn't realize how yeah Bad it was. But also, shouldn't she understand anything about decomposition? That the body's been sitting in water yeah. that long, too. I, don't, I think she's just in shock and can't even think that far. <laughs> so, the coroner determined that almost every bone in her body had been broken. Oh. Um, and the top left part of her skull was missing, along with the right foot and much of the right leg. Oh, my God. Did he find the left um, foot? Well, yeah. Or was it the right foot that he there's found? A, there's a left foot. Oh. 
they don't say that, but by her right foot's missing, so it has well, to yeah, be the left but foot. It, it could just be missing from her body. Mm-mm. No, not there at all. Okay. Not with any of the remains. Um, the body also appeared to be partially burned, and quicklime was used on it at some point, too. It had been applied in an effort to destroy the body before it was dumped mm-hmm. in the cistern. Um, which explains the smell. He tried to burn it in the furnace. Didn't work. Which is probably also where the leg is. Yeah. Um, so police believe the motive for murder was to cover up an assault. That she was killed close to the church entrance and thrown down a trapdoor into the basement. Where the body was dismembered and... Packed into, it says backing into a stove and grate. That doesn't make sense. So I assumed it was packed into a stove or grate before quicklime was applied. Um, the quicklime was brought, brought, bought. The quicklime was bought from a store a few blocks away by phone from the church. The store had that on record. Um, the barrel was delivered after Christmas and received by a woman. So that means that body's been sitting there for a little bit, too, before the quick climb is applied, because she's killed well before Christmas. Um, It was a cash transaction, so there's no record of the exact date that the order was made or delivered. Anyway, a woman receives it, so now it looks like the wife is involved, too, which makes sense. I mean, I was kind of already thinking (laughs) that. Yeah, no. So, a search of the Wendling home found a ring and pin belonging to Alma in the trunk, and Lena claimed that they'd been given to her by a boy who had found them in the street. Good cover. Good cover. <laughs> That's a good one. I believe you. So, a shirt and hat belonging to Wendling had blood on them, but Lena said it was from an injury sustained at work. Um, Lena is arrested as an accessory. Accessory? Accessory. Accessory. Accessory to murder. <laughs> Accessory. I can't talk or read. So a $2,000 reward is offered by the city of Louisville and for the capture of Wendling, and it is later increased to 3000 and the Keller family offer an additional $1,000 on top of that. On June 30th, 1910, Wendling was arrested in San Francisco. He denied any knowledge of the crime but was agitated when cross-examined. He told the press, I either killed the girl or I did not. <laughs> they should either send me to the electric chair or turn me free. <laughs> Are you dumb? <laughs> he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison on Christmas Eve, 1910. So it took a, it was like a year. Yeah. Which Quicker than most cases. Quick. Yeah. Um, no matter what, he's somehow connected to it. Maybe she did it, for all we know. And he ran away because he felt guilty. Who knows what? Didn't want to be involved anymore? No, I think they both did I it because they're creeps. They're definitely both connected to it, it seems. They are creeps. But the police also recognized that. Yep, which is good. Mm-hmm. It's like, if she doesn't, if she doesn't get put into the church cistern and not be connected to somebody who, like, knows how to put her in the church cistern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially that quick climb, I think, is the real 
nail in the coffin for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the story of Mama Keller. Very sad. Did they both get sentenced to prison? You know what? They didn't talk about her anymore. They just talked about him. Mm. I don't know if she was released, if she got sentencing or what. They just say she was arrested. I'm assuming she probably got some time out of it. Because she definitely at least accepted the quicklime for him. Yeah. Well, I've never heard that one. Yeah, no, I hadn't either. I was like, oh. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> Another one of those rich brewing families with their loved ones being stolen and killed. Well, that's what happens when you don't watch them. Um, okay. Well, try not to kill anyone and don't mess with Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.